search. Each man different, living his own way, searching, discovering numero uno. Hello, BBCers. Uh, welcome to another episode 140. We've got Nathan Salter Mott, and we've got Coach Curtis. First name Coach, Coach. Last, last name, name Curtis. Curtis. Today, I want to kick it off with a uh, very important story. I'm going to try and um, highlight the important points of this story. Now, to give a little bit of context, his name's Leper Cooper. He's 33. He's married. He plays League of Legends. He's a CNC machinist. He works with metal and program machines. Now, he's an old school player. He's been playing since 2011. He was actually, he swapped roles many times. He was actually a jungler back in the day. Three years ago, he got a review from you when you were doing your... Just started my YouTube channel. Started you three years ago. It's on your YouTube channel right now. It's an Iron Skana review. Um, and uh, Leopard Cooper recently, recently made goal four. And this might be one of the most important stories we share. We've recently started our voyage on this whole new journey of, of coaching the lower ELO community below gold. And it is absolutely fascinating to see, you know, how, why this guy was in this ELO bracket for so long, what sort of narratives were keeping him here and, and, and basically breaking down this story. And there is a lot here to unpack. Um, very interesting. Very, very interesting. I'm intrigued, Curtis. Okay. So he is a long-term player. He actually didn't take ranked seriously until 2018. So for seven years, he played the game casually. So right? normal games? Normal or games and things like that. Now, when he started playing um, ranked in 2018, he joined a competitive league. So this is like a below, it's, I think it's capped at silver one. So everyone below there is silver one. And he played in this league for a few years, right? So, he, so when he started to take the game seriously, he joined the competitive yeah, team that's in right. 2018. Basically, yeah. And he played support and he played top and he won like the leagues in this thing. He got like a lot of confidence playing in these lower ELO competitive leagues. Um, and he said he got very comfortable kind of like as a shot caller. He viewed himself as a shot caller and he, he felt as though he had a good understanding of like the macro aspect of the game essentially. And he felt like um, he said he, he when he was moving into solo queue, he really struggled with the chaos of solo queue moving back from competitive. He got used to the whole aspect of everyone's communicating information and telling him, you know, giving him things and telling everyone what to do and they're genuinely listening to you. He got very comfortable with that and he had success in competitive doing that. So that was like his bread and butter. That was like okay. what he, that's kind of, I guess, the start of his real rank journey, right? Okay. Anyway, he really enjoyed that He and he, you know, he developed more on the leadership and communication side of things and he didn't really focus on improving as an individual player in game. So he was a jungler or mid laner in these he, I think he played. I think he played uh, top and support and, and then he has also played jungle. He swapped roles a lot. This is one of his big okay. problems that we'll see through this story is that he's um, swapped roles many, many times. Um, so yeah, he started to really improve. He, he viewed himself kind of like as the captain of the team. Like, so he really tried to focus on leadership and communication. Um, but he says, most of these skills did not benefit, benefit him at all in solo queue. In fact, they hurt me. I became very easy to blame my teammate. It became, sorry, it became very easy to blame my teammates for not listening to me. It's undeniable that I developed a delusional assessment of my game knowledge. How am I stuck with these people when I know so much more than they do? They aren't playing the game right was a common thought throughout these years. 
With everything I did in my organized play world, I assumed that my knowledge and my mind were obviously my greatest strengths. And he didn't think it was something that he really needed to fix. Um, and he feels as though this is actually very common within the like silver and below. He's noticed just people he's in his community and people he's spoken to, they have a very heightened, they believe that they understand a lot about the game. Like they have this kind of, not, I wouldn't say ego, but this belief that they have like, they've got the macro element and the, the knowledge aspect of the game down pat because of the, these leagues and these things that they compete and with. And winning and beating the players that are similar rank. That's right. Out macroing them in a way. That's right. And they yeah. view that they're winning through communication and, and all this stuff, right? So in his first uh, competitive season, he was a jungler um, and he was actually iron. And that's at the time where he got introduced to your channel and he got that Skarna review. Uh, and he continued as he continued in competitive play. He would swap to support and then top, and then he slowly he actually eventually came across the broken by concept, and he actually rode into the mailbag on episode thirteen. I do the name rings a bell, Leopard Creeper, and yeah. we kind of suggested that he was overcomplicating things. Yeah, and so at the time he started he hung around my first Discord, like the coaches club back in the day, and he was convinced that his main role was always going to be top. So he kind of went back to top. Anyway, in the winter season of 2022, I hit my lowest point. I was on the worst team I'd ever been on. I felt I needed to change my role. My greatest strengths of shot calling and team leadership didn't work the greatest when I was on an island away from the action. I wanted to swap to mid and join the MLA. It had been two years of listening to the BBC, trying to be growth-minded, but not really having a process. Yet again, I had to accept that doing things my way wasn't getting any results. In April 2022, he joined the MLA. <clears throat> Now, over his time in competitive, he realized in hindsight that I continually ran from my problems when it got hard. I would really feel good about my improvement. He said, I would feel really good about my improvement. I would plateau and at that time, I would call it a wall. Rather than trying to climb the wall, I would swap champion or swap role and run swiftly back to the wall. I felt like I was improving, but I was just getting good at improving back to the same point. So he would get to a plateau point with, with a role or a champion, and then he would swap, because he's like, he's stuck there in his mind. He didn't want to like really get into the details to overcome that barrier. So then he would just conveniently- Switch role, then get back to like, get say, back to silver one point. level it's again. the same point on all the roles and all the champions. Yeah. He never got past that point. Yeah. And um, let's let's put a point. Is that around silver one? Was no, I was like, I'm assuming it was even bronze, like okay. top of bronze. I'm assuming like low, bottom of silver, essentially. So he got to uh, silver four, essentially silver four on every role, essentially like jungle, I think. But and, it felt like he was improving, getting better at the game because he was learning other roles. That's right. Like he got addicted to that kind of getting, getting get to, to silver, silver four, four yeah. type thing, right? Because it, it was it was it was momentum in his mind rather than again being stuck at that plateau point right yep. that's very interesting so joining the mla and learning mid i decided to devote myself entirely to one champion i started with vex she seemed like a great place to start and still to this day is a champion i enjoy i had experienced some flirtations with champ mastery before but i feel vex was the first champ i consciously understood what achieving baseline mastery was about but i was still playing in, in competitive and one of the important things one of the most important things happened i needed another champion to play in competitive other than vex because you can't just have one champion I was asking around a bit in the MLA and so on and so forth. He got onto Anivia. So during this time, he really struggled with blaming his teammates, especially early on. And um, when I didn't understand my identity or my job, the phrase that kept popping into my brain was, my teammates, my teammates won't let me do my job. I simply had a limited view of my champion and I wasn't thinking creatively or outside the box. My thinking was very rigid. 
Quote, I do this well, and if I can't do this, I don't know what to do. Early on in my time in MLA, before I started Anivia, I posted a question in one of the channels and Curtis responded. So I'm going to read out this was his question and my response. Final question for the night. How do you stop the spiral of getting mad at yourself for being frustrated? I'm rather annoyed at myself for not being able to maintain my composure with some really chaotic long games. My list of frustrations are quite high, but a lot of it comes from me making mistakes and lashing out. When I started getting tilted, I spiraled really hard and a lot of why can't my teammates be around so I can actually do my job kind of thinking starts to come up. But it spirals into me being a battle, uh, into a battle of being frustrated in myself for being frustrated and, and frustrated at what's kind of happening in the game. I know I kind of play effectively when I'm emotionally compromised, but it's rather hard to keep my mindset rational if... Uh, if I'm making this many mistakes, how can I be upset at anyone else 37 minutes into the game? And then I responded with, well, I'd say it's stemming from an unrealistic expectation of your teammates' level of play. From the sounds of things, you're either delusional about the rank you're at and the level of play that you are, or B, only looking, um, you're only looking and processing the mistakes that your team does over the enemy team. C, or you're, f you're failing to adapt to the chaotic nature of the game and accepting that you're... A a and expecting that you're the center of the universe, which is again, delusional, you are not special and the game doesn't have to play around you. And D, not understanding that everyone else cares about the game to the same degree. Because when you're playing in very low elo brackets, there's a lot of casual players that genuinely just, they don't care that much. Like mm. they're not gonna play super disciplined League of Legends. And if they were playing disciplined League of Legends, they wouldn't be there. So you gotta understand, like it's managing expectations, right? Yep. And he said it was eye-opening. I didn't realize that I was one of the delusional ones. I saw that in I saw this in other people, but I hadn't realized that I was in the same boat. It would take me months and months of effort to regroove my brain. I was so used to blaming and being frustrated at others. It was all I'd ever known and experienced. Even now when I'm playing a game with other people, it's almost an unconscious reaction to start complaining about what my team is doing. And these behaviors are so ingrained. I had solved this when I started, when, when I played my best, I was not frustrated and I was in the moment. Um, and so he'd started tackling this in certain ways. I stopped venting. I just had to stop activating that response. Number two, I started reviewing and focusing on my deaths and, and what was in my control. I really embraced Nathan's idea of if Elena dies, how did I as a jungler contribute? And this was something I think he started to like really think about. Even when there isn't much you could have done. I really embraced the idea that me doing poorly in lane, each of my deaths had a negative mental effect on the rest of the team. And number three, he would take uh, Voz to Stormer, one of the other guys who kind of helps around the Discord for sessions um, and, and all this stuff. And, and what he would do though, what he found is that he would pick Voz where his team was bad to ah, get validation. Yeah. That helps the narrative. To yep. show, look at how bad my teammates Teams. are, yeah. right? And then, and, and like he would, it's not even like he's being curious. It's like, look guys, this is he's what I'm trying to prove. He's trying to prove. It's like, I can focus on all what's in my control, but look at this game, guys. Look, here we go. This is the reason that I'm currently bronze, uh, silver four. This is it. Hey guys, wait. You're trying to prove the narrative in a way. Instead of in trying to get mind, better. Instead of genuinely trying to get better. And then Stormer, like trying to, like he, he actually like identified a few core problems in his gameplay. Like he was scared of trading and stuff like that. Um, and like, he just pointed out a lot of basic mistakes. And one of the big things he changed was that he started playing more games. And I would play, um, 
the more, yeah, the more I would play, the less individual games mattered to me. Like, so when he wasn't playing, when he was only playing 10 games a week, every game was very, like, Huge. emotionally taxing yes, for him. that's right. But then he started to, to go there's 15 another, games. Then there's the extreme on the other end. That's right. And then now he's playing, now uh, he, he slowly pushed that to around 20 games a week now. That's what he's doing, which has helped him a lot. Uh, and he adopted the no look challenge. He stopped looking at OPGG or any similar site. I never use any apps. I got rid of all of them. The less aware I was of my stats and my progress, like the easier it was for him. And then this is where it all changed. In January, Curtis opened the MLS and I was super excited. Finally, direction and learning tailored towards me. I joined the MLS on the first or 31st of January at Silver 4. I hit gold 4 on the, third, on the 8th of March, roughly five weeks later. Silver four to gold four. Huge in, jump. In five weeks. MLS allowed everything to click. I wasn't flawed or abnormal. I, I wasn't behind everyone else. There were just other people like me. My experiences weren't unique. I was not an abnormality. The MLS allowed me to build a strong foundation. The lessons and the questions were very general, but super educational. Each building on each other. I was one of the lucky ones. I already understood that champion mastery was key from his time in the MLA. He kind of knew that the champ mastery was really important. He started to feel, he already kind of knew the, feel import the importance feel of the it. Importance of it. Um, and because he already had that baseline mastery on Anivia and so he just one-tricked Anivia. And he could just focus on building his fundamentals. And so he said, these were the most important things on my journey. Curiosity, the desire to obtain knowledge and growth, the willingness to ask questions and seek help when you're lost or confused. Champion mastery is the lens which you focus around your curiosity. All of my questions revol revolves around how do I get better at Anivia? Number three, be specific. There, are no gaping, there is no gaping hole in your gameplay. There are no general rules you can just follow and just win 80% of your games. Every game is different with different players. You have to build up your foundational skills and your understanding of the champion to adapt. And the number four process, having a process. I play three blocks. I upload all those games at the end of the block to YouTube. I review the next day during his lunch break with a clear mind so he can actually see like with without emotions. Um, and it helps me to search for at least clips that I can... And he always sends clips all the time in the channel. Say like, oh, what do I do here? Which like very specific clips, which is great. I went through the motions, even when they didn't make sense at times. If three blocks are good, if reviewing is good, I should do that. So he just kind of just did it, like just followed it. Even though he didn't really, he wasn't fully like bought in. Like he said, all right, I'm just going to do it. Like just no, no thing, just do. Um, and he says, accepting that the people I wanted to be like did those things and just following the process got me here. MLS gave me confidence, helped me fit all the pieces together. Um, and now he feels like everything's clicked. Um, I'm 300 to 325 games into Anivia after the past year. And I'm just now starting to have a foundation of basics to get deeper into her. Now, one of the, like, so, you know, for me, when I read this and for him, it was such a massive achievement. Like he was so emotional and so overwhelmed that like he couldn't sleep the whole night and he had to take the day off of work the next day. Like it was that big for wow. him. And I was so proud of him because imagine being in bronze, iron, bronze, silver for that long. So we're talking about 12 years. A long, like that is, you've been playing in a silver league for years, mm. below silver for years. Mm. This is his identity. His identity was that it was all teammates. He was the genius that was smart. He was getting kept down by teammates, swapping roles, swapping champions, uh, giving up when plateaus hit, comparing himself to others. That, the works like this is literally probably as hard as you get he's 33 years old married full-time job lots of responsibilities lots of responsibilities and it goes to show 
that it's not just gameplay. Obviously, gameplay was a huge part. He was he didn't have that champ mastery. He didn't have the fundamentals. But the narratives that were we couldn't ingrained- even get into that until we addressed the narratives. Going into the, his story, Curtis, about the labels that the labels that he identified himself as as the the smart genius macro guy that right. by one game through communication. Yep. That. I genuinely believe that that is the hardest part to get out of. That is actually where the most toxic players are created because there's no respect for the individual game and uh, yeah, no respect for the fundamentals of the game. And they think that the game's all just about mid game, all that sort of stuff. And just there's basically a complete disregard. You know how end of review process, those players essentially are the complete opposite to our philosophy. We're yeah. like the game's lost at four minutes. There's no point it's looking. The, yeah. There's no point looking past that. Well, I mean, yeah, not lost, but like, there's no more learning to be done past the four minute mark and yep. stuff like that, right? So those, if you really think about it, those players, are complete contrary to what our entire uh, philosophy is on the game. So he labeled himself as, you know, the 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 team guy, and he he had success, he had results, but remember, he's In getting results against other silver players. So how would you ever know that your macro is, you know, better than a silver level? Because you can't, you know, you're not versing gold or platinum It's the blind leading the blind in a way. That's right. So, um, yeah, so that is just going to, like, if I think about a hole, like, he's been digging this, that hole. That is is as deep as you can go. He listened to the BBC for two years, I think it was, before he really could muster up to even begin the process. That's right. Two years. And that's, that's so two years of he like had to hit rock bottom, like you yeah. said, like I was at my lowest point, and he had to like that's only when he joined. Yeah, and and that we love those stories uh, because that's it because it's just it's just logic at that point, right? Okay, I've been doing this for ten years. Okay, I might Nothing's not trust working. the BBC guys. They might just be maybe the game again. He, in his mind, he probably thought the game was still communication yeah. and teamwork based. And then he's like, okay, let's go by, let's just try out this. And then here we go, you know. Here we go. <laughs> so it happens, it works. But but yeah, and he said that the biggest thing that hurt him was, you know, when he was playing competitive, the lack of adaptability to the chaos of solo queue. And that's fundamentally what happened. And, and I'm, I'm kind of reading through the lines here. One of his biggest problems was scared of trading. Why? What is that? What does everyone do in competitive? Everyone is so conservative and competitive. Right, all yeah. everyone does is just farm. Yeah. So what, what everyone does in competitive, as we all know, when you go into clash and things like that, the, the trading is way less heavy. Like the, 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 I'm not going to say every game, but for the most part. Because people don't want to make as many people mistakes. People don't want to make mistakes and everyone's just playing conservative. Everyone's yeah. just like farm, farm early game and then it'll be some mid-game team fight. That's typically how a lot of competitive, any, any major competitive thing happens, no matter the ELO bracket. People play conservative. So he probably got away with that for so long because the people that he's versing in those competitive leagues are also playing defensive. Everyone's playing defensive. So then when he goes to solo queue and everyone starts to posture aggressively, he's, he was, again, he was just shocked and like he just couldn't adapt to that. And But again, he wouldn't get into the details and try to fix that because he believed he was playing right. Everyone else is playing wrong. Mm. I'm the one that knows all everything. Mm. I'm winning these competitions. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm doing Yeah, That's why I say that those actually become the most toxic players but it's weird because you wouldn't think mm, that it's a, weird, such a yeah. it's such a way you think like you're like a wholesome like I'm, mm. i love the team aspect of the game but yeah they don't you don't actually realize and it's country it, it actually really, creates a very elitist mentality it does. In, in a way without even them realizing no. it. it's like everyone else is bad i'm good it, it looks innocent on the surface looks innocent on the surface but deep down is actually very toxic mm. that's right and he was inc- he actually was very quite toxic like he, he wouldn't be, i don't think he'd be vocal about it but like he would try to show everyone how bad everyone else is and like it, it again it's all that is toxic by nature like yes. he's just f- focusing on everyone else's mistakes and not his own mistakes the lack of curiosity 
Remember, remember when we spoke to Gamer Dad mm. and we were talking about the whole competitive versus solo queue thing. Remember Gamer Dad's reaction when we said that League's an individual game, not a team game? Mm. And, and we had that comparison. Remember he was shocked when we said a team of Diamond 4 players who communicate, have perfect communication, scrim all the time, they've been scrimming, playing together for two yes. or three years, will never ever even come close. They'll lose in 15 minutes to a full challenger team. Yep. And he was shocked. shocked remember him. the initial, that initial reaction? Mm. So, again, this is the thing that people still genuinely they believe really about the get. game. They, yeah, don't, they don't really get you it. Know? Yeah. And so, you know, that's the thing, the, the danger. And there's always a reason, because this is the thing. Like, it's very easy to write off someone who's in these lower ELO brackets. It's just an untalented gamer, right? That's, that's, that's the convenient thing to say, isn't yes, it? it is. 33-year-old, works full-time, yeah. married, boomer, get, get the fuck out. But that's not the case. Like, he's not bad. At the, like, I watch his gameplay. It's not like he's incapable yeah, of being good at the game. Definitely it's learn a skill. This. It's just a skill that you can yes, learn. You can build but upon the skill. What's hard is, again, under, again, the way I view it is that when we're teaching these players, they're not starting at zero. We're starting at negative 100. And then every we have to undo all that negative 100 crap just to get to the starting point. Yeah. Then we can learn about the game. I would say that the longer they've... Remember we say that the longer they play the game, the more the, the narratives and all that sort of stuff. So That's I'd right. say it's like... like so I'll, I'll, do it, right I'll do it in like negative 50. So if you've been playing... Uh, you know, league for, you know, four years, you know, it's maybe like we're starting to like negative 200 or whatever, because, and let's, again, you've played four years, you've tried really hard in like, and you know, you're struggling in bronze and silver and stuff like that. Again, that's given that person's really trying hard. That's right. And and it really depends though on their, on their relationship with the game. And it just so happens that a lot of people have negative relationships with the game because no one had educated him really about that the game was an individual game. We Mm. automatically assume because it's a 5v5 Sorry, game. We automatically assume that it is a team game. And you watch the esports thing. And yeah, that's like, that's all the what, team stuff. Yeah, that's right. Because you get introduced to league a lot of the time by seeing worlds, right, or yeah. seeing like some massive event like esports and stuff. But that's a it's a different game. It literally is just a different game. Mm. Esports is just different. Um, was there anything else from that story that really jumped out to you? Uh, no, I think that's an awesome story that uh, I think a lot of people can relate to, or know they know mm. people was and. We've had many episodes talking about it's about the expectations of what team play is. And when you join these tournaments, you're not there to improve. You're not getting better. You're just expressing your individual, your solo queue performance in those games. And it's again, further pushing the, if you swap roles and you swap champions and you lack that curiosity, you're not going to go anywhere. Following up from this, a bit of a, there's two things I'd like to talk about. I had a a, a very interesting observation from someone in the MLS, the the Midland School, Lower Elo one. Um, so what I've noticed so far since, since this new program is that there are a lot of, uh, players that kind of view problems in league in a very, um, they have this mindset where if, if something is going wrong or something, there's a problem, they kind of like accept that the problem doesn't have a solution. Like, so let's say you die. Let's say I've noticed, like, say someone is, is is struggling with trades. The weird observation I've noticed before I educate them about the whole how you're contributing to a game is kind of like, that's just the way it is. Like, they don't view it as a, a solvable problem. And so I used an analogy to kind of describe this. I said, okay, when you're in school and you get some homework sent from, say you're in maths homework, you go home and... 
you know, you, you get to the moment, you're going through these problems and you, you, a, a tricky problem comes up. When we look at that problem, we never think it's unsolvable. We know there's a solution, right? They, they give you the problem, right? They give you the problem because there is a solution. So yeah. our mindset when we're looking at that math problem is that there is a solution. I just need to find we it. We just need to find it. Yeah, okay. Right? And so sometimes what you'll do if you're a, you know, a student that actually cares about doing, getting better at it, you'll sit there and you'll try and figure it out. You'll just you go through the formula. Okay, okay, that's not working. You'll like, you'll sit, sometimes sit there on a question for 20 minutes trying to figure it out, right? But, you know, and what I've noticed is that that is not what people do in League of Legends. Oh, okay. What Interesting. Wait, so... I'll, 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 Give me this example. I need an example. I'll read, I'll read to you what this guy said. He yeah. Because that's what I said. I, I, I basically explained that. I said, um, this post was a little bit of an eye-opener for me. I understood it a bit, and I liked the BBC analogy of solving a thousand puzzles, but I've never actually really sat down and tried to solve a question in a VOD as if it were like a chess tactics problem. When I'd play chess, it'd be common for me to spend 15 to 20 minutes solving a tactic or whatever. I've probably never spent more than 30 seconds during a review to try and figure something out. I'll just, you know, and, and, and he just never done that. And it got me thinking, how many people are out there that automatically assume that it's like, oh, yeah, that's that. And they just accept it for what it is and move on. You know, we talk about curiosity. So we talk about like uh, the way that I think about it is that they just get one shot by like an Akali. Yeah, or okay, like let's, that. yeah, it could be anything. It could be a simple, say, you die so to a gank. Deaths? Okay, okay yeah. let's, let's say dying to a gank, right? It's very easy to write off a, a death to a gank as like, oh, yeah, I just died and then. So the jungler is just able to do that. Yeah, that, just, yeah that's right. It's just a that's free just kill. what the jungler does. Yeah. I, I'm always going to so die they, here. they just chose for me to die there when I die. Because that's the convenient okay. way out of it, right? Yeah, it's like okay. The, it, that's I just, can see this mindset, yes. It's like, I'm, that's just the way it is. That's yeah. the way the game is. It, it, it's kind of like, that's the automatic baseline convenient assumption. This is the way it's always going to go. That's just what that champion does. If it one-shots me, that's just what it does, Yeah. right? But in reality, that gank could be the result of your wave state, your positioning in the lane, yep. your wave. Maybe you got hit by every ability. Like we don't try to sit there and be like, what could I have possibly done to avoid this, to avoid this death? That's what I've noticed. It's okay. so far in the MLS. I've noticed Inter that- Very we, interesting. Okay, I see and, this. And what I've tried to encourage is like, guys, everything that happens in league happens for a reason. Mm. You might not know it yet. And I don't expect them to know it. Mm. But send a goddamn clip. Mm. Send me the send me the timestamps. Like Curtis, why did this happen? Mm. But that what I'm saying is that that is not the norm. That's not norm. Okay, yeah, I that, see. This. So that's my current observation so far. Yeah. One of my current observations. So I'm trying. I've been trying to get across. You know, we talk a lot about curiosity. I, I, I've been using that analogy of a math problem. We and so so very succinctly TLDR. They don't think the baseline assumption is that there isn't a solution. But it's very important because if you don't think there's a solution, you're not going to... You're not going to attempt. You're not going to attempt it. No. You see, you see what I mean? See yeah, I can definitely from? say. I think that that's where... That's the the crux of people getting stuck because they're never trying... They never. They don't think there's a solution to... There has to be. You have to believe to be, yeah. in some way. There may not be, right? There are very... Yeah. Sometimes there may not be. That's right. I'm going to say that right now. Yeah. We know that. Like sometimes... It is what it is. There's nothing you can do. There is that that does happen, but I would say major yeah. by far the overwhelming majority of the time there is something you could have done. Hmm. It's fascinating to me. Yeah, I never even again because I just assume that 
when you say I'm going to be improving at League of Legends, that's my baseline assumption, but it's not. That's dangerous. Not. You can't. No. I, I had the same thing. I assumed that if you're joining a program and trying to get better at a skill, you would view it like a skill and you would try to like be... Yeah, the, the curiosity it, it, is, it's just not there just yet not there. For, for gaming and League of Legends. For League yet. of Legends, it's just not. It's just, that's going to take, and that's what we're sort of doing with the podcast. It's just going to take decades, really. But how strange is that? He did that for chess. Yeah, because he, chess has that respect and people know <laughs> that, that, but League of Legends doesn't. It's just, a, yeah. again, people just think it's just a game and you, you the way you win games is just having really fancy KDAs and... Yeah, I don't know. And you just, our mechanics max people and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's very, yeah, we are, we are very niche here on this podcast, aren't we, Curtis? Now that I think about it, aren't we? Because that's that, yeah. We it's very dangerous of us to assume that that's what everyone believes. I agree, it's very dangerous. Like we yeah. need to, like you need, we both need to be aware of this in our programs, even in the main programs. Mm. Honestly, I think mm. a lot of people probably have some variant of that. Yeah. Oh, I can think about some of my platinum reviews and stuff like that. I know that there's been no attempt to solve the problem. That's right. Uh, in but the, the attempt is so important because you you raised this really you said this really great analogy a few episodes ago where um, when you're in class and you would pretend to, to like pretend you're trying yeah yeah that's how I feel to the sometimes teacher. You, yeah. so you, like pretend you're really trying to work it's it like out miss, like this yeah this <laughs> no because what happens is you 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 pretend you attempted the homework last night you say oh, I just couldn't understand it and then like they sit there and they go through it but you never actually attempted but it's like you're pretending that you're trying and you're yeah. trying to like yeah you're pretending that you're to trying get to out get out of, out of it yeah to get out of that you to didn't. justify it or whatever it might be i mean yeah. there's many reasons not, to basically just yeah as a student to not get in trouble for not doing your homework right and in our in, in our case with reviews it's like you know sometimes we get the feeling that someone hasn't been curious and hasn't tried to problem solve and then they say oh yeah i just don't know what's happened but they could have probably solved yeah, many of the laziness. things here. it's this laziness which again segues into this beautiful post Milk Puddle, we love Milk Puddle. Aiden, Aiden on the uh, on the BBC in the BBC Universe. Um, I want to share something he he wrote here. He said, "I've been doing a lot of thinking lately, and I think I've come across one of the most important concepts of my life: being at war with your mind, and more specifically, being at war with your human nature." I think the true reason people fail and are not curious and don't review is because it's easy. It's the path of least resistance. It's our human nature. We've mentioned this on the podcast before. We want to conserve as much energy as possible. We want to do the thing that's like the the most efficient way. Yeah. As long as we have shelter, we have food. We're, we're not designed to be playing League of Legends, guys, and figure out how to get better at League of Legends. Our body does not want to do that. They're like, dude, you don't need to do this. Who cares about this? You're fine. You're, you've got food in your stomach. You've got shelter. You're good to go. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That's right. We can only really set out to achieve great things when we actively oppose these things. We actively oppose human nature. And this is something that is universal. So for him, he says, getting to bed on time instead of staying up to play more with friends. Waking up first thing in the morning and actively ignore everything on my phone to put on clothes and run. Staring at the shower head, bracing for a cold shower saying no to distractions, not listening to music during high-intensity activities. These are all extremely hard to do because it's uncomfortable. This is where habits come to augment and ease the load, essentially reducing the mental load required to take to take part of activities that take the mental load, right? Because when you have a process or a habit, yeah, you have to you basically you do it. It's you basically have to create and rely on habits. It's actually willpower. I think is really you can't rely short on term. it. It's so short term. You can do it in the in the again in the short term, but building the habits is is essential. It's like motivation is a cop out. Yeah, like, I, hate, I hate motivation. Motivation so is much. just like it's like it's like 
it's kind of like kickstarting. It's like a kickstart. Yeah. And then you use that to create momentum and process. But if you don't right. use that initial kickstart it's to useless. get something started, yeah. it just won't work. That's why, you know, some people write into the podcast, they listen to the podcast, they get a little excited and stuff like that. You know, they want to get into their journey. They want to do the three block thing. And then they get in, they get hit by the realities of like, you know, playing League of Legends, just all the shit you're going to deal with. <laughs> and then they just get instantly demotivated. Yeah. And then they don't play that. They don't get into the three block thing or they just don't, they don't even play you ranked. you got to push through that pain for the first few weeks. But once you start getting into the three block momentum, you just, just play your routine day. Like it doesn't require any effort or mental, or you don't need motivation. You're like, I'm going to come on my three block today. Could go zero three, could be horrible, but nope, just going back into tomorrow because that's just what I do. Exactly. It's what you do. And he says, here are some examples. Opening OBS, YouTube studio and notes before review. Muting all, using lol states, renaming files, uploading files, reviewing, putting clothes next to my chair in the morning, putting my phone far away in the morning so I'm forced to get up, ta- ta- uh, taking out everything the second I arrive at the place I want to study. There is no thinking required. Just do. It conserves my attention, which is a finite resource. The end result is clarity. And he said, more specifically, and I think it's important to discuss because I know personally a lot of people who feel guilt from not following the process and, 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 and not being productive. They think they are special in how lazy they are when in reality, there is nothing to be ashamed of because that is our default setting. Our default setting is to be lazy. Yes. It is to cut corners, mm. is to conserve energy. We should, we should acknowledge that laziness is the starting point and go from there. I think that's such a beautiful way of framing it, isn't it? Because we, you know, when people say, oh, I just can't do it. I just can't three block. I just can't review. I can't upload this or that or whatever it might yeah, be. Yeah, feel really bad or whether that should just be like, that's just going to, that's just that's your the default. Norm. No, that's you the don't normal. feel bad. That's the no, norm. Yeah. Everyone Anything above that is you're doing like going above and beyond. You're already in, yeah, if you, if you, <laughs> if you open the VOD, if you record the game and open yeah. the VOD and look at your first death, you're in the top 1%, yeah. <laughs> basically. Uh, uh, last episode about mid game, dude, if you're, if you're making a call in the game and losing the game for your team, you are learning way faster than everyone else in that game. You're traveling at light speed. Yeah. Like that's, that's just, again, but people, that's a really scary thing to lose the game for your team and get flamed. But I think I love this part. I love this little, this little thing from Millpuddle because it's, you know, we did that episode about it's okay to fail. Like, you know, we, we gave it's it, like, give yourself permission to fail. Give yourself permission to, to like struggle to build a habit like like we because i can see how it's very overwhelming someone coming into the podcast or one into our programs we talk about reviewing your games and three blocking and uploading your vods and you know what you know studying your matchups or whatever the hell it might be right and you know we had to develop these habits ourselves as well it's not like it's not like it was easy. It's not like you go from zero to a hundred. It's not like we wait. We're special. We're we're, we're special. Um, you know, or in any way, we were like form. born. Like we're we born, were born this way. We're like I'm going to review League of Legends games. Here we go. Like it's still hard for us to wake up in the morning. Yeah. It's still hard for us to do. If, if, you know, do the reviews every single day. Stay focused. Take time to do reviews. Make content. Run these communities. Like, but again, it's just like we just automate. It's just we created so many habits that you just kind of just got, just doing it, just yep. doing it. Yeah, just I'm, doing I'm like it. a robot these days. But, but it was hard to start though, right? Like it was yeah. very, very hard to start. I mean, start. Curtis, talking about remember, reviewing was unheard of in League of Legends. I said it took me years. Six, I didn't believe in reviewing. Mm. 
I did I, reviewing a game was even even when I sort of started getting into the coaching. I reviewed other games, but I didn't review my own games because I had just an ego and stuff like yeah. that. I was I was like, I'll review when I get to my skill level, which right. I thought was challenger, which I was really a struggling platinum player. Um, and yeah, that had to I had to start building that, and I had to be start developing that skill for myself. Yeah, and and we all have our mental blocks in terms of what prevents us from reviewing. For me, I was just scared. Of seeing, seeing the reality how, of yeah, seeing the reality <laughs> of how shit I was at the game. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's and right. And it took me years to yeah, get over that. That's Three, right. four years. You know? And so, you know, we're all lazy by nature. And just accepting, just understanding that and building one habit at a time. And um, yeah, I just thought it'd be really cool. And it's like a flow on effect there from the other one. So... Shout out Milk Puddle for, for writing that. British sure Milk really Puddle cool. comments on like every single one of our episodes, by the way. If you see, he's always lurking in the comments. He's a, he's a lurker. Lurking in the shadows. All right, Curtis, we're ready for one of my topics. I'm ready. All right, so proactivity, Curtis. I want to get your perspective here on this question. So this is one of my Salter members okay. with a question. I need help with only one thing, and I'm really struggling because I don't really understand how I can improve. What can I do to be more proactive? I often lose to junglers that are ganking and farming much more efficiently than me. Like, how can someone have 70% kill participation and more CS than me? I spent one game trying to balance ganking and farming much harder, and I got perma counter jungle by Udia, who never ganked but just cleared, and this alone lost the game. What can I do to improve my proactivity? This is the only area I need to improve right now, because I feel like I'm a useless jungler compared to others that are spam ganking. This idea of proactivity how about another way we frame it curtis about how can i be more aggressive player i think there's a lot to unpack here sort of the way that i respond to the question is that so let's i'll talk about from more jungle perspective first is that i guess this goes back to leper cooper about i like his labels and identity you can't just be an aggressive jungle or, or permanently proactive jungle like the way league of legends works People in lane, as a jungler's perspective, they heavy trade. If they don't heavy trade, gank threat is seriously reduced. That's usually when you hit your camps. So think about how many times in our games, Curtis, if you were to do a ratio, how much of the time are you more defensive versus being proactive? I'll be honest. I just don't use the word proactive ever. It's not really a word. I, I've I, never, I don't even use I it, I actually I? can't remember the last time... I've used the word proactive in my games or my coaching. Mm. I've never, th- I don't think, I, I used to think of that back way back yeah. in the day. It, it feels like when that word's used- I don't used, know what it means. It's like a mode or something like that. You like turn on and off, but yeah. you can't because the way that we view the game, there's either aggressive options, punish, or you can't, right? I view it as just risk and low percentage, high percentage. Low percentage, high percentage. That's yeah, we the, talk the, about that a lot. That's what I really, when I, that's why I interpret that question. It's like, um, these players are making low percentage, a lot of low percentage plays that happen to work. I, I don't know. I, I really struggle to understand. Okay, so I'm going to answer it in my way, and this could be very wrong. Let's hear it. I don't really think styles exist until the very highest level. Okay, so. I want to use the analogy of um, I want to use an analogy of kind of like F one, okay. 
you know, at the end of the day, you know, in F1, there are, there's kind of like an optimal way to go around the track, right? They've got it like, even if you do go-karting, if you go to a local go-kart track, there's like a little map and will tell you what the fastest way- How wide to go the corners. Yeah, it will literally draw out the path, what the Uh, most optimal path to go around this track is, right? Okay. So that that is like the baseline. It's like, okay, until you can do this wet, like consistently, it's only then when you've got, say, 10 drivers doing the perfect path, then small discrepancies in terms of aggressive- Creates your style. Or- it's like, it, it, there is no styles until everyone's playing at the high level. Like, because the way I view it, right, is that we just tie back to the, the high percentage, low percentage. Um, we talk about up until master tier, you're not really playing League of Legends. You are playing a version of League of Legends, but it's not real League of Legends. Real League of Legends starts at master because roughly around master, because that is well now when everyone has champ mastery, typically everyone knows the fundamentals. Everyone knows what all the champions do. So, and no one's not, not making mechanical blunt, like basic mechanical blunders anymore. And there's a certain game pace. And there's like, every time you make a move there, there's a response. There's a response. Instantly. You're not you, below master. There are so many basic errors that, that you're simply, you can missed opportunities. So many missed, yeah, basic missed opportunities and so many basic errors that you're kind of simply able to capitalize on other people's mistakes. You don't actually even have to be, if we use that word, kind of proactive. You just kind of, you just got to be ready to op- opportunistically capitalize on other people's mistakes. But at Master Tier, you can't really do that anymore because there's not enough errors, basic errors that people are making that you can sit back and relax. So the way I view it is that aggressive, if we think, let's 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 talk really high yellow players like Bo, he will take a an aggressive route or make an aggressive decision but it's like calculated. Like he knows what he's doing. It's like capitalizing on a tendency of a player or he knows where that person's attention is focused. It's like very calculated aggression in a way. But like what he's talking about, what I think he's referring to is like uncalculated aggression. Like just, I'm going to go in and invade this jungler. That's right. I have no, I have no idea if it's going to work or not. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. There's a very big difference between bow aggression and a random like platinum aggression. If you were to break down you know, a bow, like a rank one player, it actually all makes sense. Everything like makes their sense. Their aggression is actually, again, very calculated. But yeah, I think that the way people think and they're, yeah. they're, they're, it's distorted the way they think about this because they think that you just suddenly turn this mode on and then suddenly like the game, like all these okay. great things are going to happen. Yeah, let, okay, let's let's view it like this. I'm going to empathize with this, this client here. Okay, so let, in his mind, I'm assuming it works something like this. He's a jungler. And in his mind, there are like five choices of things he can do. And one is like invade the jungler. One is gank. And then the other one's like farm, farm camps. Yeah. So in his mind, the ganking and the the invading is like the aggressive option. And the de- defensive option is farm. When in reality, one is an optimal play and will get you more. And one is a, a, a suboptimal play. That's the way you got to view it. Yep. Right? And you either have the confidence to take the optimal play or you have the a knowledge and the insight to take the optimal play or you don't. So I don't really view it as aggressive or non-aggressive. It's like the, the decision is either correct or incorrect or optimal or, or, or suboptimal. If you could go top and gank someone and kill someone and, and get, create a win condition or you can farm a camp, it's not that one is more aggressive than the other. One's correct and one's incorrect. 
right? That's like the way. Yep, especially it is. the when we're teaching the game again, like blow master and stuff like that for sure. And sometimes the the best and the most highest position and actually technically an aggressive option is not take that gank, reset, spend fifteen hundred gold, and then be aggressive on the other thing. So this is going to get into the details. It's just yeah. it's just impossible. It's, you can't be general in terms it's too of general. Uh, I can't be proactive. Like if I was to review that game, there's millions of things millions that of things that would right. be that he's letting the enemy jungler do. Like he's showing on the map and then giving the enemy team aggressive options, basically. Oh, there'd just be so many little little things adding up to that. Right. So it's really important to um, and it's, it's funny how he mentioned as well that this is like the only thing he needs to work on because if you actually really think about a player that is able to identify what rank is this guy. Platinum. Okay. Uh, let's say I was thinking about if there was a player that knew when to be aggressive at every single moment of the time, and it's the correct move. That player is basically a challenger player. They're both. <laughs> they're they're both right. Like I was saying, like this is not a skill that you you magically learn or you again it's a mode you switch. This is it actually aggression ties into your game knowledge, your game mm. sense, your chant mastery. No, yeah, expanding on this, what it actually is, Nathan, is your ability to process information. Yes. The more information you can process, the more options are going to be available to you. You see more, and that's that takes a shitload of muscle memory, chant mastery, everything to develop. So it's it's again moving away from this idea that this is like a skill or a, a label that you put yourself in, mm. you suddenly become this type of player but that's not how the game works especially as a jungler i feel like as a jungler the game you're is really at the mercy of laners if everyone's full hp right but this isn't the case but if no one trades you let's say you've got like a a vlad uh mid a kale top and a soraka zeri bot lane right that's a really bad draft obviously but tell and then and then uh the enemy team's always full hp you can't you, you can't be proactive you can't you, you're getting pushed in it's all your your job is to just be defensive and protect lanes and protect dives right so again let's say if i was suddenly an aggressive jungle and i was put in that game i don't i can't be aggressive I don't, there's no optimal mm. aggressive play that's right yeah and tying back to that f1 analogy sometimes you can't aggressively overtake someone because that would be a dumb decision you're going to crash into someone yeah, sometimes right. you just got to be conservative yeah. Just chill and get yeah. overtaken. Yeah. <laughs> That's I mean, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. Just, I just, I, I think really he's, what he's really struggling with is uh, processing information. Yeah. Right? Like he's not able to know why, why is that lane gankable? What's happening with the wave state? How, are they heavy trading? What's the nature of that matchup? Um, you know, you know all that stuff like that's information that's information that is telling you the likelihood of what something is is going on there right mm -hmm. um and yeah. also he's seen the enemy jungler like highlighting these games where the enemy jungler seems to be doing way more than him and just completely not getting to the details and again realizing why you know, you know at the end of the day jungle ganks even in high yellow are very predictable in terms of you just counter jungling. Remember that game that I versed you the other the other um, I think it was on the week or something like that. I don't think you saw it, but the I just did a counter gank top and I double killed top. This is a, this is a game you couldn't do anything. You, mm, I can't remember. I was playing Jarvan. I don't really I remember. It. What was against, I playing? I think you were against Cal Casey mid. Remember? Oh yeah, I do. I was playing Yone. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that I don't game? remember what you did though. No. Okay, well, all I did was literally just saw the lease in, started bot, saw him on top, and I just I didn't skip the crab and I went right. and just counter game. I remember something. And we like got a that. double kill. The game is instantly this over, is over, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and this is like a yeah. grandmaster player, right? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. So it's very rare that a gank is 
confusing. No, it's not. Yes, that's right. Like it can be, but yeah. it's rare. Very rare. Very and rare. even if it is, it, the only time when ganks from junglers are like, you know, you couldn't predict it. That means that they've traded off a serious camps or, or side of the map. They've done for something it. inefficient. Yeah, they've done something inefficient. So you, you have a response most of the time. Yep. Sacrifice. It's same in mid. Roams are very very predictable and if someone is getting a roam off that's random they've ditched a wave like they've come straight out of base they're the only roams that you can't predict are the ones that come straight, straight out of base, base and sacrifice right. away yeah. mid katarina and talons that's a huge part yep. of their identity that's I, right I, I love it when i see them do that because that's that's how you get leads with that's those a, that's a, yeah that's it's a high percentage play. you skip but it's a camps. sacrifice you miss weight it better work because if you fail that play though it's high risk high reward right that's right kind of Again, depending on the situation, sometimes it's not high risk. Sometimes it's very high percentage because you just see the wave state. Look at the heavy trading. Yeah, so it's not. You wouldn't even say it's risk in that no, situation. It's not. Uh, so now this ties in. Then mm. I, I happened to find a, a Reddit post this week on Summoner School at sixty-four upvotes, mm. and he goes, uh, "What are common mistakes that I should see if my enemy that my enemy does to punish them?" Again, the same thing. So he goes, I often hear these things in the community saying, this champion must p- punish the opponent's mistakes to win. And I get the concept, but I'm not experienced enough to see when my opponents make a mistake. What are the mistakes I should know and how to recognize and how do I basically punish them? Punishing mistakes. Mm. You can see how there's a trend here. We're very we're struggling to answer these questions because it's it's very general. It is. It's very hard to answer these questions. Mm. It's kind of like it's kind of like asking a someone who plays football. You know, how do you you know how would you score a goal and against that team or something you know it's like how would you score a goal against a defense that is like really good or something like that yeah it's, it's like a, <laughs> how would you punish someone that's really good at running yeah or has you know I, I don't know it's like it's like i don't know it depends on the situation right like so okay i mean so we can't answer this question directly but again let's yes, break down let's the break narrative. Down. same thing with the the that question okay. before about being a proactive player your okay so I want to tie back to, I think the foundation of everything is champion mastery, okay? So you're never going to be in a situation to think about how to punish someone else if you don't have champion mastery. So that's the foundation, right? You won't have the mental capacity. You won't have the understanding of what you can and can't do without champion mastery. So let's assume he has champ mastery. Let's assume he's, he has a lot of champ mastery. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he wants, etc. Speaking, So I'll answer this from a mid perspective. You can answer it from a jungle perspective. From a mid perspective, um, again, let's say it's a matchup, right? Um, your ability to punish, identify the enemy making mistake, comes from your understanding of that champion. So, what I tell people is when you're reviewing games, don't just review things from your perspective, review it from their perspective. Like, what does Yasuo want? So, you're, so I'm playing Victor. To understand a matchup, you can't just understand what you want into Yasuo. You need to understand what Yasuo wants. That's what great matchup understanding is. So a lot of great understanding of mid comes from, okay, I kind of know what I want. I know what I want, but I don't, I don't have the luxury of getting every single thing I want. So let's say I'm playing Victor and I want to bully this guy under tower, but I can't bully a Yasuo under tower. So, okay, what does Yasuo not want? Okay, Yasuo doesn't want the wave stuck on my side because then he's vulnerable to ganks. He can't take trades down the long lane. So on and so forth. He can't die me. He can't unbreak freezes, right? So my strategy is actually 
punishing his weakness rather than pushing my advantage. You know what I mean? Yep. So, so, so my ability to punish him only comes, I only have that possibility if I understand what he wants and what he doesn't want. So if you're struggling to punish a specific champion, you get specific about what that champion wants. What's their identity? What are their strengths and weaknesses? What does it not want? And, and sometimes asking a main of that champion or, um, Oftentimes, your intuition will tell you what feels good and what's bad, right? You're playing a Yasuo. Okay, I'm playing Victor into a Yasuo. Oh, yeah, it probably doesn't doesn't feel good, eh, when the wave's on his side. I feel like I'm just keep getting ran down. Okay, let me try something different, okay? Yeah. What happens when the wave's on my side? Oh, it feels a bit safer. You get the point, right, from them. So you're saying that the foundation is so you need to tick off first, know exactly what you want. Yep. And then it's thinking about what the enemy team wants, and then you're able to figure out what to punish. That's what right. the enemy lane events. Yep. What was that quote you had? Was it from Alonzo or something like that? In terms of oh, his percentage? Yes. We're gonna. I want to talk. I'm gonna talk a little bit of this later. But um, Alonzo, shout out uh, Fernando Alonzo for winning. He won. He came podium. We got a podium right last last week in, in Formula One. Formula for One. Aston Martin. Aston Martin. And um, there was said something. There was a quote from one of the commentators. Something saying like he's. He's like having a conversation in, in, like while he's driving. He's in a race. Like he's like, in a, you know, doing really good in the race. And he's like, he's like asking and, and, and talking to like the people in his, like the strategists, like telling them what to do. Like he's like thinking about what they're going to do. He's thinking about what the other teams are doing. Like he was in a position where he was trying to like think about what Mercedes were doing, this other car, right? And then he was like, oh, yeah, so what we'll do, like, we'll just wait and see, see what they do. We'll react. He's like telling the strategist what to do. Whilst he's driving. While he's driving. speeds. So apparently what people say is like using 30% of his brain to drive and 70% of his, of his brain to think about what other people are doing around him, like their tire strategy or what they're doing. That's how freed up his mental stack is to like doing his actual task. He's got so much muscle memory. He's thinking his of all this His champion mastery stuff. of the car. He already knows what his car wants for how it feels to drive his car. Now he's thinking about- He already knows how car. to do his job. Now he's thinking about what is their job. I'm going to talk a lot about this later in the clip section. Okay. But yes, old League of Legends at the end game, when you play your best league, when I play my best league, it's- you don't really think it's it's already assumed knowledge what you want. You already it's you're you are one with the champion. You know what fights you like, what you don't like, what you can do, who you can kill, who kills you. That's all assumed knowledge. We know that. Now I can put myself in the in the in the brain of them. If I were them, what would I really not want? Hmm. What would be the most annoying thing? Hmm. How are they thinking? How are they feeling? Um, and I got a really great clip to show you later that it describes that perfectly. So just to wrap this one up in terms of a jungle perspective, right? It completely changes based on the champion you're playing, right? So let's say the common thing that we're seeing here is level three ganks, right? They do three camps, they have 12 CS, they do Red Krugs Raptors, and they level three gank uh, bot or something like that. So let's say if I'm playing a champion like a lease or something like that, some really early aggressive champion. Um I want to get aggressive and potentially fight them on the camps that they're going to be going to because there's only one sort of location they can get or I can defend my jungle or something like that. If I'm playing a farming jungler, the way I punish them is not by trying to take their their camps. It's about just full clearing, getting a really far ahead in tempo in terms of experience and gold, right? So just because I'm playing two different champions, there's two different ways of punishing that in a way. And again, it goes back to what my champion wants. So that's a, just another example. For but I think on. the same thing applies to the, you know, what I said about understanding the other champion. It also applies to jungle, right? Because think about it, right? Say you're playing Nidalee and not listen, and let's say you're versing an Evelyn jungle. You can look at it from two ways. I know what I want as a listen, but 
I, you should also know what Evelyn doesn't want. What is, what is Evelyn not want to happen and like so your strategy is is a combination of both isn't it kind of it's like well i know evelyn really doesn't want these things to happen and then i and i want these things to happen you're you're and obviously this is oversimplifying it because there's lanes and wing cons and stuff right sometimes you actually because the typical answer is like you got to invade an evelyn but you can actually just get laners ahead if you got a good matchup win condition eve can't do anything that's right but that what i'm saying is that's part of that that's That's in there that there is knowledge that's an option for a punish that is there based on the factors in the game that's correct that's it's an, an option stemming from your understanding of evelyn yep I can't invade if I path the wrong place and I have no land priority. That option that's to right. punish is gone. Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, it, it gets specific. Champ mastery, I think, is a big part of that and understanding your your role. Tying back, actually, sorry, one thing I really wanted to talk about during that other question about um, proactivity and aggression. A real simple tidbit that will serve you well on your journey all the way up until the end ranks is identifying your job. Like, what is what is your champion's job? What does your champ really need to do in this game? Like, what does your champ like to do and want to do? Like, that aggressive and defensive isn't even in the realm. It's not even in that discussion. It's like, what's my job? I'm a Kale. I want to farm and I need to get to these items. I need to get to level 16, whatever. My, like, bring it back to what is my job and what is my job in this comp? Oh, I'm playing Ari. And I have a really fed Eddie carry. Okay, well, in this game, instead of probably diving, I could probably just peel my fed Eddie carry and win the team fight. So my job is to protect this jinx. That's your job. There's no aggressive or defensive. It's just like, that's my job. So I, I think- So yeah, that looks like it's defensive, but it's technically an aggressive option because you're winning the team fight, right? He's like- winning the game. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, what's <laughs> that? Like- so it's just like, yeah. what's your job? And now that's that's hard to do. I'm not saying that's an easy thing to do, but I think that's a, a it's a great question to ask yourself. Yeah. What's my job in this game? What am I? What do I need to do to win this game? What would make the game as easy as possible for my team to win? That's a very good question to ask. Um, so that's like kind of a, a a different way of framing it. Yep, I think it's important to view things that way. Helps a lot. Um, did you want to? You got anything else? You want to move the clips? So, are we calling this Curtis? Curtis's clips? Like, what are we going to go with? I've got an idea in a second. We'll take okay. a break and then we'll come back. All right. And welcome everyone to Curtis's clip corner. That's what we're going with. So, what's it called? Curtis's clip corner CC triple C triple C. So we can call this segment. We'll nickname it after time. Welcome to the triple C segment. Welcome to the triple C show. It's too much. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to pump these ones out. While I wasn't going to cover this, but while we're on the topic before, you know, we're talking about the Alonzo, where 30% of his brain is thinking about what he wants and what he needs to do right now, and 70% of his brain is thinking about what everyone else is doing. This was a game I played recently, which um, ex- there's a specific part here where I make a, a pick in the sideline onto the enemy Vladimir, that encapsulates exactly this phenomenon, okay? Is that what we're calling a phenomenon? A phenomenon or a concept. I don't know what you would call it. So to give a bit of context, I'm Syndra in the mid-game, 15 minutes in, 10 CS per minute, very strong. Uh, and the enemy Vladimir mid uh, rotated from bot lane all the way. So we're in mid-game, so we're both in bot lane now. Yep, you're sidelining bot. Sidelining bot. And the mid lane, the mid laner that I was versing, roamed from bot lane and uh, basically 
kill trip got like a double kill or triple kill onto mid. my eighty carry, my support, and my jungle who were making a play mid. Yeah, this was my fault. I didn't actually do good quality pings, and Vlad was able to get those those cleanup kills. So my, as a response, I'm thinking, all right, well, that sucks. Vladimir got these kills. I've got to make the best of the situation. I've got to yeah. make the best of the situation. I'm just going to stay bot and Keep shove it farm. out. And just get farm, try and get a tower and do what I can here. So now I'm just chilling in bot. And now Vladimir, I thought, given he just kind of got all his kills, I thought he was going to base. He's probably sitting on a lot of gold right now. So yep. I'm thinking, all right, I can just punish the Vlad in some way, shape or form by just getting this tower, keeping my farm up, getting strong. Now, see in a second, as I'm hitting this tower, um, the Scryer's Bloom comes down. And I'm like, oh, that means Vlad actually walked down. So I actually saw Vlad walk all the way from mid back down to bot. Now, at this point, my jungle is still dead. I'm alone. I'm on an island completely by myself. I have no flash. I have no stopwatch or anything like that. I'm full glass cannon at this point. And I don't know where their jungler is. So yeah. I'm a little bit scared. I'm thinking, all right, I can't hit the tower anymore. You know, you can. He, he's defended the tower successfully. But I do know that he has a lot of it golden in his inventory. And he's come all the way down here to defend this tower and get this wave. So I'm like, all right, fine. You know, you can defend the tower. I'm going to respect you. And I don't know where Jarv, the enemy Jarvan is. So I have to chill. So what I do is I go into the bush. We're in bot lane here. I go to the middle bush. And I'm chilling. And I'm just waiting to see what's going on. And I see the enemy Jarvan, the enemy jungler, show on the opposite side of the map. He shows all the way on top side, ganking my top laner. So I'm bot now, completely by myself. My entire team is in base, minus my top laner who's in top. And I'm chilling. Now, I remember thinking to myself here, this Vlad has just got a double kill mid, sitting on a lot of gold. Then, instead of recalling, went all the way bot to defend that tower and get that wave under the tower. It's very unlikely that he's going to just stay for one wave. If he's gone, if he's made that trek to come all the way bot, while he's here, he's probably going to try and shove it out. And I know how, and in this moment, I was thinking, okay, um, I wasn't even thinking about me. I was thinking, how is he thinking? He probably thinks that I'm really scared because I, I my jungler's not here. And, and, and so I'm thinking, okay, well, I think Vlad, this Vlad's going to greed. I think he's going to greed for this next wave. So I'm just chilling out of vision in this, in the bush, in the middle of the lane. So I wait here. I wait, I wait. And, and now Lots Vlad, of patience going Vlad on wasn't showing. And now it's been about five or six seconds. Vlad still hasn't showed on this wave. So, so a lot of people in this situation would think that the Vlad is actually recalled. But I know this Vlad's mentality. He's here. trying to play mind games with he's you. He's trying to play mind games here. He's trying to pretend that he's basing. And I know, my, I just had a read on him. I knew that he was going to greed for this wave. So I'm still waiting, still waiting, still waiting. I wait in this bush for, I count, about 11 seconds. And still, the Vlad, he comes up to, to cue the wave and still is conservative because he's still kind of just to double check, all right? You might come and E out of the bush. I might, yeah, I might, come, yeah, I might come and QE him out of the bush, yeah. right, if I'm not patient. But nothing happens. I, I, I just stay. I'm still being patient. I'm still being patient. And then I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting until he fully commits to the wave and then I'm able to um, kill this Vlad here and get a big shutdown. And as a result here, you'll see in a second, I kill him, I get a huge shutdown and then I end up getting the wave out and getting the tower anyway. You push to the next wave and then you get well, you're so much gold. so much gold from this. Was that like now, an 1100 gold play or something? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Now, my point being is that this was a play that was not... I wasn't thinking about myself at all. Mm-hmm. My entire brain was thinking only about the emotional... I wasn't just thinking about what, what Vlad is doing. But what's his emotional state? 
How would he be feeling right now? He's gone all the way back from mid, all the way to bot. It's so unlikely that it's a huge time investment. It's a big time investment just for one little measly wave. He's going to want to shove this out. And he knows that I'm scared because I'm isolated. The chances that him are greeting. So to, and, and to show you how certain I was, I waited in this bush. You'll see here in a second. I waited in this bush for about 11 seconds. 11 seconds. That's how confident I was in my call here. You didn't even channel your recall. You just no, instantly I didn't knew. even channel my recall. I just yeah. knew from the start. That's yeah. how certain I was of this. Love it. And so this is what's possible. This is when you're, when you free up, you get so much champion mastery. I'm purely thinking about the map state. I'm purely thinking about this guy's mentality. I'm making, I'm becoming one with the enemy in a way. And that Vlad would have been so pissed after making that play. Yeah. So I thought this is like a cool little like showing of the, the equivalent of Alonzo and F1 to league. And this is uh, a game that's on a nice edge as well. Like, this is such a game-winning play. You have 10 CS a minute. Like, this game just explodes, explodes. This. Okay. Now, this wasn't the main point I wanted to get across in this clip. I want to get to the juicy stuff. You know, we talk a lot about on the BBC reference points and, like, understanding, you know, how to kill the Nexus and what you need to do to win the game. And, and there were games that we're in that it's very easy to know. Like you got a very, you got a five and O Jinx Lulu bot. Your jungler's like he's gonna. You got a Fed Jarvan. You got a classic front to back team yeah, fight. Or you've got three dragons. You're just playing around the next dragon. The game's like really simple. You've done it many times. Of like won the game that way. Very clear win conditions. Mm. We all have those games. Mm. Those are games where you can very clearly identify what sort of fights I want, what my role is in the composition, where I need to be, when I need to be there. It's very methodical and very clear. But we all know that's not the reality of a lot of League of Legends games. We know we're in games where it's very complicated. It's not very clear. This is a game where when you're playing a mage, guys, mages specifically here, Victor, Orianna, Syndra, champs like this, you don't actually have much proactive play potential. If my team is behind and I don't have ultra clear ways, like I don't have, I'm not playing an assassin, I'm not playing a Rek'Sai jungle that can do all these crazy side lane picks. I don't actually, there's not many things I can do. The way of winning a game is not ultra clear. So, so the way I view it is that we have reference points in relation to how to kill the Nexus, like in terms of objectives, win conditions and stuff. And then we have reference points in terms of champion mastery. What does my champion specifically want to do? What is my champion good at? When am I strong? Um, all that sort of stuff, right? So in this game, to, g- to give a little bit of context, after I kill this Vlad, I come back, and we're at about the 17-minute mark. I want to freeze frame right here. To give a bit of context, we are 17 minutes into the game. We've got two dragons. Great. But it's a cloud soul. The enemy Vlad is 5-2. and two. My top lane's losing and was actually really struggling in the 1v1. We got solo killed a few times. So the enemy cannon uh, top is doing quite well. My bot lane was actually, that was starting to really fall behind in farm. The down 48 farm. Um, both my side lane ends mm. were struggling in mid game hard. And I'll definitely rather have the Rakan here than the Ash that's 0 Yeah, five. so we have it. <laughs> Rakan's so hard. So I've got so a Zeri Ash gauge. bot lane and my Ash support is 0 5 right now. The enemy have a, 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 a Zaya Rakan. And also to give a little bit of context, I think this is actually relevant. I've got a, a jungle main, first timing Zeri, and they have a, 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 a good, like a pro, basically a pro player semi-pro player playing Zaya, and they got Zaya Rakan. So I knew this game, that this is a hard situation to be in. Now, as a Syndra, when I look at this game state, my my mind, right, I, I don't know how I'm going to win. 
if you asked me, if you pulled me aside in this game and said, Curtis, how are you going to win this game? I don't know. If you sat there in the lab and you're trying to figure out this crazy strategy or something, you just would never come up with anything. There's I, no answer. There's no way for me as a Syndra in this game to know what the game is going to look like. I don't know. Mm. I don't know if we're going to win via stacking dragons. I don't know if we're going to be able to make picks. Or I, I don't even know what the team fights are going to... I actually don't know anything about how I'm going to win this game. So your mindset is just, I'm just going to waltz on the map here and just see what's up and just keep playing to my champ strength. So my point here is that when you when I'm playing when you are playing a champion that you don't have a clear win condition, your default response needs to be what is my champion's identity and what is my my champion want to do or even even better, what does my champ not want to do? So my mindset here was, okay, I need to be careful of getting flanked by Cannon. I don't want to be getting flanked by Vlad. I got to be careful of the Rakan engage and the jump. I'm get, I'm versing a full dive comp as an immobile mate. This is a hard game. Vlad, Cannon, Rakan. There's a lot of you know Java and all this stuff. It's a hard game, especially for when you have no flash. No flash, and I actually don't really have much frontline or peel like GGP Ash support, and I got a Kane who's you know to be fair he's doing alright, four and three, but it's not a mass amount of peel. I have to peel for myself a lot. So my entire mindset here, Nathan, is farm up a storm. Keep farming, get to my 100 splinter stacks. I know that's what I want. I want to keep farming, get to my three items, get to my four items, stay strong as I possibly can, be there for major team fights, and more importantly, protect myself at all times. I don't know how I'm going to win. Yep. I don't know. And but, but that is okay. You don't, you know, we've spoken a lot about having absolute clarity and knowing exactly what you want to do at all times. I do know what I want as a sin job, but I don't know how I'm going to wi- kill the Nexus essentially. And that is okay. So I, I want to contrast this with a client, a client's review and show them a game state and, and how this might look like in another scenario, right? So we're going to jump into this other clip. All right, guys. So we're jumping into the second clip here. So in this case, this is Van. Um, she's playing Victor. And they just lost this dragon fight here, guys. And I want to show the game state. So she's got a one and two Yasuo top into a two and one set top. She's got a Zack, who's one and two in the jungle versus a two and oh Wukong. She is now two and one versus a zero two Casio. And her bot lane is an Ezreal Sona. One, the, the Ezreal scores one, one, the Sona one, two. And the enemy have a Senna, uh, a Jin Senna bot lane and the Jin's one and two and the Senna's three and one. What rank is this for context? This is high gold, I believe. I think it's gold one. Now, you know, she lost this dragon fight and she's like, well, Curtis, how should I be thinking? Like, what's what, what should, like, she said, I felt lost. She said, Curtis, I felt lost and I don't know what my job is here and I don't know how I should be thinking. What should I do here? Mm. And I said, then... She said, no, she actually asked specifically, how do I win the game? Like, how should I think about winning the game here? Mm. I said, Van, I don't know. I don't know how to win. I don't know how you're going to win this game, okay? If I'm in this situation, I don't feel safe enough with no flash into a fed Wukong to shove into Casio. Your bot lane is losing 2v2 hard, especially now. Your top lane's losing. You've got two losing sides at this point. You're playing in a mobile mage with no flash into a fed Wukong. You don't have proactive, you know, talking about things like big, big, big plays big you can make. Big fancy you know, plays. Big fancy plays. You're not playing as a Fed Galio, a Fed Ari, a Fed TF, or something like that. You don't have the luxury to do major big dick plays, right? So here, I said, okay, let's default to champion mastery. What does Victor want to not want? 
Keep your farm up high. Try and get to your e-passive, get that e-passive going. Get to your two items. Protect yourself at all times. Don't get flanked by the set. Um, just, just, just basic Victor champion mastery. Okay, this is actually very replicable even to a lot of 80 carries as well. A lot of 80 carries will be in this situation where they don't actually have much they can do, but farm and be strong and get to the items. Be there for major fights. Call off. Like if there's a, a play that you know won't work, say no to plays. But a lot of this, it's not really big proactive plays, is it, Nathan? No, it's nothing fancy. And I don't know really what's going to pan out. I'm actually, nope. and this is what, you know, what the analogy I use here, Nathan? We love good old Bruce Lee here. Be like water. That's what I said. Be like water. I don't know what's going to happen. You've got to be ready to adapt. Say no to things. Say yes to things. Protect yourself at all times. Farm up. Be ready. Now, you might slowly bleed out and lose this game. Okay? But you want to slowly bleed out and make the game as hard as possible for them to win by not making any more big mistakes. Yep. And it just so happens, in, especially in actually all ELO brackets, people make big mistakes. Mm. When they're really far ahead, they get really cocky and they can yep. easily throw into you. And all it takes is a big victor fight that you haven't died, you've played well, you've protected yourself yep. at all times to be really annoying. All it takes is them, the enemy not stacking dragons properly, mm. them not using Richard properly. You get stole out mid lane, you wave clear for days, and you know it's very common for these games to get stalled out to three items. Yep. Very reasonable. Yep. So it's okay, guys, if you feel fr if you feel lost. Sometimes you are going to be in games like this, situations like this. That is very normal. Even to this day, like I showed before, that is very normal. Um, now, from a jungler's perspective, Nathan, how does this all? It's very different to a jungler, isn't it? Or is it? Or is it? I don't know. What, what's your take on all this, Nathan? Yeah, so, you know, it is interesting for a jungler because, like, I look at the game state here and I look at Zach and, like, you know, well, this game, this is end of review. <laughs> Zach's, Zach, Zach's ended the review way before this, right? Like, he's got three losing lanes and, uh, yeah, the Wukong's quite fed. So, uh, and, yeah, I mean, I'd say, well, for Zach, it's a little bit, your, your win condition, your combo here is the Zach Yasuo combo, right? Mm. So that's really, you can, I always say you can always win a game with the Zach Yasuo combo. Right. And that's really it. But yeah, this is end of review for Zach. I would... So what's your, if, if you're in this situation though with Zach, what's your mindset? What's my mindset is... Uh... Similar things. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show and adapt like water. And play, try and play, play around Yasuo ults. Try and get picks with Yasuo ults. That's really it. So, so again, let's get specific because, again, what you said there was sit back, relax. Yeah. That, what you just said there is a very loaded statement. It is, that means it? a lot to you and maybe not much to other people. What does sit back and relax sit actually back, mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you're not actually relaxing. You're probably going to have to bust your balls this game to fire opportunities, but... Uh, what does that mean? What does sit back, relax mean? Sit back, relax mean, yeah, just wait for the enemy team to make mistakes and they'll make mistakes. So, continue to farm as best as you possibly can. Force the enemy team to walk into you when they have a numbers disadvantage, when someone's in the side lane, you know, pushing. If Wukong shows maybe somewhere on the other side of the map, make maybe, another play, maybe trade, make a play. Yep. Put pressure on the Wukong by being ready to capitalize on plays. Say no to maybe give, give rift, yep. give dragons. Yep. 
you know, you t- we've obviously talked a lot about examples about uh, the mage playing around mages. Junglers, mm. I find, are really bad in my reviews playing around mages because they don't ask what, you know, the Alonzo analogy. They don't know what the mages want. Mm. So, you know, a great example here, you know, I see a 2-1 Victor. Like, you know, Victor can mm. start, you know, can if, she, if Victor starts scaling up, if Vance starts scaling up here at the Zac, it's like, I come to play around Victor roll. That's yeah. a huge uh, damage ability. So, funnily enough, what you said that, it's not. It's actually not three losing lanes. Victor wins the one v one. Oh yeah, that's but right. But Victor can't win the one v one because of Wukong. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So just to be very clear there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I just wanted to really highlight that it's okay. You're going to be feeling confused. That's really the point I really wanted to get across here. Mm. Um, I've got one more clip, very quick, that I thought would be a juicy little tidbit here to finish off with. So let's dive into the last clip. So this is from Kozo. Resident Cassidy player, one of our Cassidy players, master tier in EU West. And uh, I called him out on something here. Okay. So he's playing Cassidy. We're in the, uh, in the mid game, 17 minutes in. And this, he's versing a very fed Xin Zhao. The Xin Zhao that he's versing is, I believe, 5 0. Got Gore Drinker. I think, he, I don't know if he had Wits End yet. I don't think he has. He just maybe like a components of it, but he's very fed, the Xin Zhao, right? The Cassidy, Kozo, his teammate is a Diana. Now, what we see on the map right now, what we see in this exact situation is that Cassidy is, is moving into bot side river from mid. The Diana is just above the Cassidy, kind of like just above the, the banana bush, more near the wolves, I would say. That's right? his jungle. On, that, on the red side. Yeah. Yep. Right? The Xin Zhao is, is outside the dragon. Now, I'm going to play it out just to give a bit of context and we're going to rewind. So Cassidy walks over to the Zinzao, cues him, and then ease him. Diana jumps in, and then Diana has to flash out, and then the Diana dies to the Zinzao. Oh, these are my favorite clips. Okay. So we're going to go back here. I asked him, I said, what were you trying to do here to the Yeah, Zinzao? what's our intention? What's your intention here with the Zinzao? And he said... I wasn't trying to kill. I was just trying to just, just poke and run away. Yep, that's right. That's right. I was just response. trying to poke and run away. Yep. And then I'm like, this is a really big mistake because your Diana goes in to compensate for you and dies because of you. She mm. thinks that you're going in to kill. Mm. Mm. But then he said this. He said... But why would he think that? Yeah, but he said... but. Yeah, I'm just going to poke. It, it, he should know, the, the, the diner should know yeah. that I'm not going in yeah. and I'm just trying to get a little bit of damage yeah. and, I, and I'm safe. I, I know I'm safe. It's her responsibility, this is what he said, it's her responsibility mm. to protect herself at all times. Mm. And this is what I said. Mm. Hear this one out, Nathan. Mm. This is what I said. I said, okay, let's say you're the diner here. We're assuming that the diner knows exactly your damage output. You're assu- he, he, we're, assu- we're assuming that Dinah knows exactly what you want here. This is a lot to assume, for, like as a Dinah. This is, you're assuming that Dinah knows exactly what you want. He's reading your mind and, 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 and you're assuming that Dinah knows exactly what you mean right now. Okay, let's flip the switch. Let's say you actually did think you could kill the Zinzao for whatever reason. And Dinah, thinking that you're not going to go in, runs away. Say Dinah backs off right now. Mm. What, what, in the majority of solo queue games, we're not just going to talk about this situation, but in the majority of solo queue games, how many out of 10 times, Nathan, if this happened, let's say a similar situation happened 10 times and then the, the mid laner went in and the jungler backed off, mm. what would the mid laner now say 
to, to the jungle. Why, the, I, why did my jungler not know I could kill? We have killed. We're going to kill him. Why, why didn't they come and follow up on me? That jungler works both ways. would get flamed. Yeah. That jungler would literally get flamed. So yes. the diner covering her ass in this situation, mm. probably scared of getting flamed, mm. is just committing to whatever play you do. She's probably feeling low confidence. Yeah. You know, the game's hard, whatever. And then she's just going on whatever she sees yeah. her mid laner do. Yeah, so this is talking about the psychology of plays mm. and your teammates. And this is, this is what people struggle with with the chaos. I mean, you know, he's right. I mean, yeah, technically it is. This is diner could or should or whatever know this like this is obviously bad her going in here but you know again it works both ways it's like if she doesn't then she's getting flamed she's getting flamed right <laughs> so so what i said i said okay if you, you can't assume that the jungler knows exactly what you're thinking if you're going in just to poke and jump riff walk out you need to ping back you should even do this it's just it's just it's it's gonna bait your teammate in mm. It's not worth it's not worth it because you remember you're influencing your your teammates via body, body language. language yeah. Right? We spoke about influencing through body language. And solo queue is an environment where you, you gotta make it as easy as possible for to for your teammates to play the game. This is not making it easy. This is so what's the word? Um there's like a lack of information. There's so much. Um, there's so much up in the air. Like Dana doesn't know what you're doing. You didn't ping. Mm. You're just walking very aggressively into mm. this guy to try and trade. Maybe it could have been like a he back pings here and then gets the chunk. That might be maybe. May, you yeah, know, maybe if you more. could back ping or something like that. But but my point being here is it, it's crazy that how the the response here is he should know that mm. it's and and I said let's again let's put yourself in in, in imagine if. You know, Dinah was doing the same thing with Phase Rush. Maybe Dinah was going for a chunk and running away. You would riff walk in or something. You would be like, what the, what the hell? What are you doing? Yeah, that's right. It's so easy to get flamed. As everyone, everyone's on edge, remember, in Solky. Yeah. Everyone's on edge and no one wants to mess up because nah. they're going to get flamed, right? Yeah. Like, that's a huge part of the psychology of yeah. League of Legends. So this also ties into a poor plan executed well is better than a great plan executed poorly. So you're probably thinking, all right, well, this does suck, but I might as well, you know, go down with a fight <laughs> type thing, right? So I just think that this is fascinating from a psychology perspective. It is, yes. It is a tricky one. It's a tricky one to review. It is. I just said it's your fault. Straight up. Okay. I, I told him. Yeah. It's very simple. If you want to take max responsibility, yeah, you take definitely... Take max responsibility. You influenced your diner. You didn't make it clear. You baited in your diner and you got it. You blew her flash and got her killed and gave a shutdown. Yeah. End of review. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I just... And, and again, to come to that conclusion, you would have to take maximum responsibility yeah yeah and this is the way you're going to be thinking even though again yeah even yes. though even though your teammates look like they're in the wrong you just it's just so such a powerful thing and it just makes the journey in the game more fun to just take max responsibility again, it's, sure. yeah you're right it's very miserable to walk away from this experience being like it's frustrating diner sucks yeah. my jungler sucks she should nothing know i could do this nothing i could do move on yeah so you get so much more out of it. It's so much you more do. fun, isn't it? When you're yeah. like, oh yeah, I actually probably could have made that clearer, and I, you know, yeah. I could see it from her perspective, and I, you know, I'd probably do the same thing, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, so I think that's it for clips. We're going to be moving into mailbag. Yep, mailbag. Away we go. Jingle, jingle, jingle song. Alrighty then, our first question. Really funny that this, the timing of this question uh, about the aggression uh, subject that we you know mainly covered this podcast episode. Mm. The title of this email was "Importance of Training Such Learning Aggression." 
Hi, Curtis and Nathan. My name's Matt, but I go by Ryuko on OCE. I'm currently Gold 1, Jin 1 trick, climbing to my peak rank of Platinum 4. For reference, I started Not playing... Not Jin Mid? No, it's <laughs> Jin ADC. For reference, I started playing League in late 2018 as my first MOBA. I played ranked at level 30 and played my placements and landed in Bronze 4. In Season 9, I learned AD carry and ranked and climbed to Gold, where I've sat until 2020... Sorry, 2022, due to lack of motivation to play ranked. In... Season 12, 2022, I climbed into Plat where I finished the season. I have a gaming background in primarily FPS games like Counter-Strike and Overwatch. I'm a recent BBCer and I'm attempting to take your philosophy into my LoL sessions in an attempt to improve. My question today is in regards to aggression in game. In one of your episodes, I can't recall which, you both discussed the Korean server and how aggressive they are in the early game. I would say the way I play is the complete opposite, that being I play a reserved playstyle with the primary goal of converting enemy mistakes into leads by making what I think are high percentage plays. However, I found that this can cause some games where I end up doing literally nothing as a complete passenger, regardless of game state. This sometimes makes me feel like I'm just a KDA player, do you think that it's necessary for an ADC player or even league player in general to possess a psychopathic playstyle that is reined in, or is it possible for someone to climb the ranks without significant aggression in their playstyle? Thanks, love the podcast, Matt. Great question. I want to start by revisiting the whole Korean thing. Yeah. Our, I, I think, at least for me, my opinion on the whole Korean server has changed quite a lot. Reflecting on my experiences in the Korean server and just from what I've watched, a lot of my VODs watched there, there's a lot goes on in Korea because it's a very different culture, right? I know this has been echoed for years and years and years, but we need to just kind of caveat it with this. A huge part of the Korean culture, the Korean solo queue ladder, is that it's go, go, go. Get in the game. Get the games in. Get the hell out because they got to study. There's a lot of shit going on. You got to get in the PC bank. Get as many games in as you can. Get out. I just think that's a myth, dude. Still, honestly. Again, remember. You got to remember that the it, it it's kind of like it is an elitist culture, Nathan. It is an elitist culture, and I do think that for whatever reason that may or may I mean it could be a myth. We don't really know the reason, but for whatever the reason is, objectively there is a lot of low percentage plays happening. Okay, yeah. Yep. All right. I, I, am I wrong in saying that? No. I think there's a lot of low percentage it's plays. Level one plays just running in 50-50. Yes. Every, when we went to Korea, when I observed my, my own games, every game was a level one invade. And they were they were willing to coin flip a, level, a game on a level one. Hmm. Because I don't know why. You can ever come up with some theory about the culture and all that crap. But the reality is that there is a lot of low percentage. They're happy to take a 50-50 and come out ahead, or they're happy to take a 51-49 type thing. They're, they're, that's like the way, at least I observe, or I interpret the Korean solo queue ladder. They, it's like everyone is kind of believing that they have the mechanical edge on everyone else, such that they can take that low percentage play and somehow make it work. What that leads to is that, yes, there is an objective, objectively higher mechanical level of play in Korea. But as a result, I think there are, I think from a macro perspective, a lot of Korean solo queue is dog shit, like straight up, like bad. Like I think Korean solo queue ladder has its strengths. They are very good skirmishing. The skirmishing is objectively better, especially at the high, the high elo ranks. But the macro, it's very different. It's a lot of low percentage 
gameplay. And so when you go to Korea, Solo Q, you're kind of forced to take part in that. You can't not take part in that. If you say, I'm not start I don't want to level one, you ping back and I don't want to take that level that level one invade at the start of the fight, the ARAM or whatever it is, they're just gonna flame you and they're gonna just AFK, mm. right? The game's over. Like mm. you kind of have to take part in it. There's mm. a thriving Korean solo queue. You, you know, the way if I were to go over now, my mindset is like, okay, I'm gonna try and take as many high percentage plays as I possibly can while being at the plays and contributing to the plays that I have to. That's right. Because there is some that you kind of have to. Mm. So Korean solo queue, I don't really view it as like this. I remember back in the day, like with the, oh, Korean solo queue is the best. It's this fancy, beautiful place where you go there to improve. It's like training in the the Dragon Ball Z land, whatever the hell it is, you know, this hyperbolic time chamber. I don't really view it like that anymore. I think it, it refines very specific parts of your play. I think the micro aspect of the game, but I think other aspects of the game, it potentially could even make you worse because of the, the nature of that solo queue. So I don't, so that's the first thing I really want to caveat that with. Like, yes, it's aggression, but I think a lot of it's blind, dumb aggression from my experience. Okay, that's the first thing. Um... The second thing, uh, with any role, not just AD carry, in order to find the optimal decision, you can't always play conservative. You went through your fair share of painful experiences, limit testing and finding what you can and can't do. I've done that. Anyone who's great at the game has gone through, this is what we talk about, alternating between limit testing phases and conservative phases. Yeah, and it's important to say that limit testing is not just complete idios idiocy was the word idiocy idiocy like i thought that this play would work still right and then i miss some information or something like that or like i you know again maybe misplayed mechanic and maybe i can reflect whether that was a fight to take or not it's really important to say because it's not just yeah. like again people just view it's just like i would even say that i would i reckon I mean, watching Korean solo queue VODs, you could still make sense of the aggression. Like, League of Legends is League of Legends to me. At the end of the day, someone's not running at someone with 20% HP to 100% HP person and just don't, that's just intent at that point, right? So you can just adapt. It's fine, dude. League you can Legends see what information they didn't process. Yeah. Like, yeah. everything makes sense. It does make sense, yes. My point being is that don't view it in terms of, like, again, you're not going to get to the optimal making great quality decisions unless you make big game-losing mistakes. So the, 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 the thought process you've got to follow when you're improving in League of Legends is, if I'm ever unsure if I can do something or not, do it. Now, like I, my suggestion, what I tell my clients is, okay, that is great to do for, say, 25 games in a row, but then take the foot, gas, the foot off the, the gas and be like, okay, I'm not sure if I can go for this play or not, but I'm going to say no to it. That will probably lead to more short-term results. But if you do that forever, you won't progress. You will plateau because you don't know what you don't know. Mm. Right? Mm. It's it's kind of like you won't... It's like it's, it's like um, if you don't st study... It's like... It's like um, before the internet existed you we didn't know you don't know what you don't know it hadn't existed it's like foreign to you you don't you, we couldn't even perceive the iphone before the iphone came out it's the same thing in league if you don't make that play it, 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 it when you do make that play sorry it opens a whole new realm of possibility or not possibility so so for him he needs to to some degree make decisions that he's unsure about mm -hmm. yeah I, I can his last bit of the email saying you know 
the game is about sitting back. Like again, he didn't mention how often that's happening where you just there's nothing you can do. But I'm sure he's missing a lot of opportunities there. You know, I mean, that could even just become if you miss one Jin W, that could be the difference between your team winning a fight or a play or something and having a better alt and stuff. Like there's a lot you can do well, as you don't, carry. You don't flash for that big shutdown on that yeah. one fight. Or you don't flash to kill that that Victor that was well, out of position. Was your third shot or something. Yeah. So so yes. So we're here to tell you that. Um, you know, to know your limits, you're going to have to fail. Mm. So you cannot be permanently in that conservative phase. Mm. Yeah, 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 for League of Legends in general, you can't really improve that. Like, his answer is, can you climb without being like, going quote unquote aggressive? Like, again, I don't like that mode, yeah. that thinking. It's like, if you don't punish the enemy for mistakes, that's like completely tied to your skill level, essentially. That's so right. like, as your skill develop, levels develops, the muscle memory will become, it's like a punch. Again, it's not a an aggressive or defensive play. It's just an optimal play, really. That's what yep. we, the way we view it. So yeah, the answer right. is no, you can't climb. If you're, if you're letting the enemy team do whatever they want and get away with things, then you're, you're going to struggle to climb, especially your counterpart. That's right. Hopefully, does that, I think that answers the question. I think that answers the question, yeah. All right, um, we'll finish off here with one more, which is actually more of a success story here. My journey. Hello, Zach here, and I was hoping to update you on my journey. Uh, I think Zach's written in before. I hit Diamond 4 in the preseason after being plat for over a year, a year straight. However, season 13 has been different, and my process has made me a different person entirely. Playing uh, three blocks for the last three to four months i just hit d1 after being told by a lot of my platinum friends i didn't deserve to even be diamond in the first place one major thing i had to consider was the people i had in my life many were just spreading negativity and making me not really enjoy the game that i love so much and i had a really bad habit of comparing myself to other players which overall created a poor mental state when I was able to focus on removing these i started to become the person i wanted to be and another major thing i th- didn't understand is that I had to climb for myself, not to prove other people wrong, but to do it because I actually believed in myself. Doing something for another person is pointless because in hard times, you are less likely to overcome the hardship. Making sure to play for improvement on champ mastery and win condition understanding was another big focus. No matter what the result was, I put everything I could into the game, making sure I never FF'd a game and tried to remove saying this game is over. I made sure I was reviewing all my games for the first 15 minutes. Once I was accept, uh, I was made. Once I accepted that I was making mistakes, I started to see improvement. Being able to see mistakes without having a bias was super impactful. I then started to be able to listen to the advice of other players because I wanted to improve so much. I want to shout out Amando, who has always been there for me and who has helped create the player I am today. The podcast has been super useful in transforming me into someone I'm happy with. So thank you guys for helping um, with something I didn't think was possible. Hopefully my journey can help people understand the process works if you just stick to it. Let's keep grinding, BBC is. Awesome. Great story. Yeah. And uh, the, the key thing I want to highlight from there is, yeah, friendship group for League specifically, like... People can have really bad uh, narratives around the game and be really jealous of friends climb, out climbing them and stuff like that. So really important to, to manage. I've had many clients in Soul 2 that I had to like really give them a wake-up call. It's like, your friends are destroying your confidence and making you a way worse player. And it's not until that they shed those friends that they like they you know they, were, they felt free and all that sort of stuff. So it's tough. I mean, it's tough to realize that maybe the people you surround yourself with are not supportive. Hate never comes from above. And on top of that, you know, for a lot of people, 
you know, it's scary to see one of their friends improve. Because hmm. it's like, oh my God, if this, I thought this person was really not talented at the game. And oh my God, they're now Diamond 1? What does that make me? I thought I was, I thought I was more talented than them. And they're yeah, getting Diamond 1. it destroys one. their narrative. It destroys their narrative. You're hurting them by hmm. improving. Like their, their ego is getting ripped apart. Their entire view of themselves as a competitor or as a, as a person or you know all this stuff is getting challenged it's like it's like it's out of panic more than anything like i don't think they mean it it's not like they they want to attack you because they don't like you it's more that it's a defense mechanism it's them they're trying to put you down so then they can make themselves feel better it's like a self it's like this weird like selfish protect protect must maintain narrative type thing you know um and they will go to any length to protect that narrative because uh you know oftentimes um we've believed in these things for a very long time right and that's just the sad reality mm. right you can you can you can go through your entire teenage years thinking that you were never capable of doing something and you know it was always talent and it was always this stuff right and then it could be 20 27 years old and you see someone that you believe that was on the same level as you climb and get these amazing results it's like holy shit i've held on to this thing for you know 15 years or whatever and you know it's getting attacked. Of course, they're going to be attached to that. Hmm. So it's scary shit for a lot of people. So yeah, it's a tough call. It's easier said than done. It's easy for us to say shit, you know. They're not our friends. <laughs> they're not our friends. It's easy <laughs> for us to say. So, you know, props to you. A very hard thing to do. I respect the hell out of that, man. Yeah. All right, that's all we'll do for Mailbag today. A bit of a shorter one since we were in the Curtis's Clips corner for a while there today. <laughs> uh, any housekeeping, Curtis, for the end of this episode? Um subscribe yep. if you're a watcher a listener and you haven't subscribed to our youtube subscribe to our youtube and also what i'd love as well is our apple podcast reviews this helps us in the algorithm with apple podcasts so leave a review if you think it's a one-star podcast leave a one star if you think we're just talking out of our houses <laughs> if you think it's pretty cool maybe leave a five star maybe a comment as well so that's you know obviously listen if you listen on Apple Podcasts, which I think is a lot of people. Spotify is big, but Apple Podcasts is also relatively big these days. So good work, guys. Let's keep on improving, and we'll see you guys next week.